what we would call grace people. See, what, what Christians a lot of times do is they get bored with something. They get bored with the teaching. They get bored with the doctrine. They get bored with a, you know, a certain minister. And so they start looking for someone or something else. And a lot of times they look for someone that's going to give them that wow factor. And I can't tell you how many people's come up to me, have you heard so-and-so? He's so awesome. She's so awesome. And, and I listen to them and I'm like, yeah, you know, they're charismatic. You know, they, they, they make things sound good. But my thing at the end of the day is when I hear someone, at the end of the day, I want to leave the building or, or, or when the message is done, I think to myself now, how can I apply that to my life? And if I can't apply it, all you did was make me feel good for a little bit or all you did was give me some information but there's nothing I can really do with it, then I'm not really interested. And it's not really something that um, I look to listen to. So this morning, it's something that everyone can relate to, everyone can put into practice, but there's going to be like two extremes when you hear what I'm talking about. There's going to be those people that says, okay, that's stupid, that's foolish. I had people that I told what I was ministering this morning, and I could tell the moment I told them, they was like, oh. But then there's people that's like, that excites me. There's, there, I know there's more there, all right? So uh, let, let's look at Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. It says, for you will keep him in perfect peace. Does perfect peace sound good to you? Yes. Yeah, every one of us here want perfect peace. Now, in the Hebrew... How many of us, we know the word shalom. The word shalom is usually translated peace. Uh, but shalom just means, it means everything. It's health, it's prosperity, it's joy, uh, peace. Any, anything good in life is in shalom, right? But in the Hebrew, this actually says, if we were directly translating it, it would say, you will keep him in peace, peace. Because it's actually, you will keep him in shalom, shalom. And the translators, to make it a little bit more, to give you a little bit more clarity, they're like, okay, what's peace, peace? That must be perfect peace, right? It's, it's abundant peace. So that will keep him in shalom, shalom, perfect peace, 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 whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So shalom, shalom, or perfect peace is not automatic. Do you see that? Now, it's something that's been paid for. It's something that's been promised. But there's something you have, you, you have to do. What is it that you have to do? Right? We're not talking about the law of Moses. We're not talking about earning it. But there's a spiritual law that's in practice that we have to line up with. And that word mind, so in English it says, you will keep him in shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on you. Now that word translated as mind in the English is the Hebrew word yetzer, Y-E-T-S-E-R. And other places that that word is used, it's translated imagination. This morning what I want to teach to you is about the law of imagination. And... So what this says is, if you want shalom, shalom, if you want perfect peace, if you want abundant peace, you need to keep your imagination stayed on Him. All right? 
Now, then notice what he says. He says, because he trusts in you. There is a direct correlation between trust and imagination. And how do I know, if someone comes up to me and asks me, how do I know if I trust God or not? My answer to you is I can't tell you, but you can know by, by asking yourself this. What do I spend most of my time imagining? For example, I know and I've been there. Oh, I believe in healing. 1 Peter 2, 24, by the stripes of Jesus I am healed. That's what I believe. That's what I know. That's what I trust. Yet I spend more of my time imagining my funeral. I spend more of my time imagining the doctor giving me a bad report. That means what I ultimately believe isn't 1 Peter 2, 24. What I ultimately believe is I'm in trouble. Okay, this word yetzer that's tra- that we could translate as imagination, it also means conception. So your imagination is actually your spiritual womb. It's where you will birth things, either negative or positive. It all begins in the imagination. Now look with me. I want to look at two things because my problem, I, you know, people that I look up to, people that I admire, I've heard them teach on imagination. And for years I thought, well, that sounds good, but there's not a lot of Bible talking about imagination. But I've seen something recently, and this is so powerful. Go with me to Mark chapter 9 and verse 23. And this is one we could all quote. Jesus said unto him... If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. So here's Jesus, and he says, if you can believe it, it's possible. Right? So we could say, if you can believe it, you can have it. All right? Look with me at Genesis chapter 11 and verse 6. So this is after the Tower of Babel. They've built the Tower of Babel. God's came down. And look what God says. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. Now listen here. And this they begin to do right here. And now nothing will be restrained from them. We could say nothing will be impossible for them which they have imagined to do. So notice Jesus says, If you believe it, it's possible. God says, if you can imagine it, it's possible. So biblically, every time you read the word believe, you could co-equally translate that word imagine. Because you don't believe something if you don't imagine it. Uh, Atheists, you know why they can't believe in God? Because in their imagination, they just can't go there. They can't conceive this idea of God in their imagination. Right? So we see believe and imagine are co-equal terms. Now, Christians are afraid to talk about imagination. Like uh, That's why, especially us charismatics, we've tried to dress it up. We believe in vision. Right? We're going to have Vision Sunday. We believe in dreams. You need the dream. 
We believe in, um, what's another one? We, we believe in seeing it. We believe in having spiritual eyes. And we just like to say those things because we know there's this negative connotation with the word imagination. And that's all we're talking about. When we talk about vision, when we're talking about dreams, we're talking about imagination. And see, here's the thing. When you start talking about this, people say new age, new age. No, the devil has never came up with something original. He always takes an idea or something and he perverts it. He hijacks a truth and perverts it to such a degree that the church is afraid to touch it because they're afraid that they'll be accused of new age and things like that. Imagination was not the devil's idea. The devil's never had an original idea apart from rebellion. Right? And all rebellion is is faith perverted. So it's not even an original idea. So we've got to take this truth, and you guys have heard me say this dozens, possibly hundreds of times over the years. We never throw out and abuse truth. We redeem it. So what this message is about is it's going to be about teaching us how to redeem our imagination. Every And here's the thing. It blows my mind we're afraid to, to talk about imagination, but there's not an individual in this room or outside this building who doesn't use their imagination. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18 says, while we look not at the things which are seen. Now listen to this. Some things that you read in the Bible got to make you stop and just scratch your head. Paul said, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Think about that. We don't look at what we can see. We look at what we can't see. What? How do I look at something that I can't see? Logically, that makes no sense. I'm going to show you how we do that. All right? Uh, Brian, I'm going to use Brian. I'm going to ask Brian some questions. Brian, don't look behind you, but uh, what color of hair does Tim have? Is Tim freshly shaven or does he have a beard? Is there any gray in that beard? Oh, yeah. Does Tim... uh, have does he wear glasses? Oh, yeah. Now Brian's not looking at Tim. How do you know that? You're looking at it in your imagination because you've seen it before. Every person in here right now can tell me how many doors you have in your house. And it's not because you've went through there one, two, three, four, five. You've never done that. I mean, you may have if you've done some work, but uh, for the most part, most of us haven't went through the. I wonder how many doors I got in here. Right? Most of us don't have never done that. But you can tell me right now, you, and if I asked you that to, and told you to answer that, in your imagination, you would walk through your house and count your doors. One, two, three. Right? No one got here this morning without your imagination. When I was on my way, I knew, all right, I got to turn off onto Highway 15. I take 15 up through Jackson. I'm going to hit Campton. Right? You use your imagination to get here. Every single individual uses their imagination. 
Imagination is so important. Listen to this. Your body shuts down anywhere between six if, if, you know, or to eight, ten hours a night and makes you use it. That's what a dream is. When you're dreaming, it's just your brain imagining. God sets you up where a large part of your day is your body forcing you to use your imagination. Right? Fear, worry is imagination. You don't sit there and hear, well, you know, um, you might have cancer. You don't hear that and that's what causes worry. That's what causes fear. What happens is you hear that word and you see the funeral. You hear that word and you see the treatments. You hear that word and you take yourself down a path in your imagination and what happens? Your heart begins to, to beat fast. Your palms get sweaty. Right. right? Not because of the word, but because of where your imagination takes you when you hear that word. Alright? Your memory is your imagination. Just what I said a while ago. Brian used his memory to tell us what Tim looks like. Right? It's his imagination. Uh, most of you probably haven't been in the home that you grew up in in years. Maybe decades. But I guarantee you right now you can walk through that house in your imagination. I can still, listen, the house we lived in in Colorado, I can still feel the floors under my feet. I can still tell you places where I would walk and I'd hear the floor like screech. Right? We can do that. That is our imagination. And many will say imagination is just foolishness. Tell that to your body. Because listen, like I said, if you imagine receiving a bad report, what happens? Your body, your heart, like I said, it begins to pound. You get nervous. You get anxious. You can even have a panic attack. Why? Your imagination. Your body responds to your imagination. See, and here's why. Science has proven that the brain cannot tell the difference between what's happening in reality and what's happening in your imagination. The brain, doesn't, the brain cannot tell the difference. That's why you're watching... Uh, I mean, we don't... In my house, we don't watch scary movies because we're real holy, but uh, if, you know... <laughs> If you've ever done that, um, if you've ever done that, how many knows you're not sitting there uh, being chased by the bad guy, but yet you feel the fear. Why? Because in your imagination, you can feel that. You ever been woke up in the middle of the night to a noise, and all of a sudden your heart starts pounding? It's not because the noise. It's because of what your imagination shows you that noise could be. Like all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to have to whip this guy. <laughs> right? And that adrenaline starts pumping. And then you get up and it's nothing. Right? <laughs> but your brain couldn't tell the difference between what you were imagining and what was actually happening. Science has even done studies and proven that that if you can get someone in this, this deep meditative state 
and get them to go somewhere in their imagination, years later they will struggle to know whether that actually happened to them or they imagined it. They can't, they can't, how many of you have done that? Like there are still things that I, memories I have as a little kid and there are times I get in thinking, I'm like, that makes no sense. I don't think that actually happened. I think I probably went there in my imagination. But I, I have no clue. Why? Because my brain can't tell the difference. Jesus said to enter the kingdom we must become as little children. Who uses their imagination more than anyone? intentionally, like I said, we all use our imagination, but intentionally children use their imagination more than anyone. And they're happier for the most part than anyone. Right? So, the very fact that your body will respond to your imagination and react to it is physical proof that creation responds to what you imagine. Look with me at Matthew chapter 5 and verses 27 and 28. Here's Jesus, and he's actually teaching on imagination. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, you shall not commit adultery. Verse 28, But I say unto you that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Here's what Jesus is teaching. If you don't go there in your imagination, you can't go there in your body. So what Jesus is saying is your imagination is so powerful, if you'll go there in your imagination, if you get the opportunity, you'll go there with your body. That's what Jesus is teaching. Right? No one has ever committed a sin that they didn't first imagine. That's what James taught. He said, listen, we're all tempted when we're drawn away by the lust of our own heart. Now, the eyes of your heart. Now, your heart, you can tell what's in your heart. Every belief that you have is stored in your heart. And you can tell what's in your heart one of two ways, two ways. First, there's the word you speak. Right? And I'm saying what you speak effortlessly. Not, not what you have to force yourself to confess, but what you just effortlessly confess. Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The other way you know what's in your heart is by what you imagine. And we're going to get to this at the end of the message. When Paul talked about that the eyes of your heart might become enlightened, <laughs> he was talking about your imagination. Right? So... If Listen to this. And we've seen this principle about sin being a product of imagination. We see this in the garden. The Bible never says that Eve just ate of the tree. It says, and when she saw that the tree was good for food, then she ate. So what happened was she looked at the tree, she began to see herself eating that fruit. She began to, to taste that fruit. She began to feel that fruit. She began to see what the serpent was promising her that you'll be as God, knowing good and evil. She began to see herself being as God. And when she went there in her imagination, she took the fruit and ate of it. Right? So Paul even piggybacked on this idea that Jesus shared 
And Paul actually taught in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, Paul actually teaches, did you know, listen, spiritual warfare, this idea of spiritual warfare we have in the church is so ridiculous. Like we're, we're binding these demons over these certain towns and cities and, and we've got a breakthrough and all these things. Every single, every single reference to warfare in the New Testament has to do with your thoughts, your, your imagination. Every single scripture in the New Testament. Not one scripture about warfare in the New Testament that uses that word warfare is about angels and demons fighting. Now, I'm not saying there's not New Testament Scripture about angels and demons having it out, but I'm just saying practically the Apostle Paul taught that spiritual warfare... And see, we use the word spiritual. I don't even like that. It, it really should be solical warfare because it takes place in the soul of man with your thoughts and your imaginations, right? That's where warfare is. And if we would realize that, I was just talking to a pastor friend of mine the other day, they've been dealing with a lot of deliverance at their church, like demonic manifestations and dealing with them. And we were just talking and I said, listen, it's a lot easier to cast out a demon than it is to change the beliefs of someone's heart. If you'll change the beliefs of someone's heart, you'll get rid of the demon. Now, I'm not saying there's not a place for casting out demons and stuff. I believe that and, and they've been doing that in their church and, and you know, I've participated in that. We believe that. But I'm saying what gives a demon access isn't sin. What gives a demon access isn't believer or unbeliever. What gives a demon access is the beliefs of your heart. Have you noticed those people who just focus on the devil? They focus on demons. They focus on, on angels. They focus on all these things. They're the people who see a devil everywhere. And I don't think that... And I'm not... I'm not making fun of them. I'm not saying that what they see isn't real. What I'm saying is, listen, what you focus on, you'll see. Okay? So, if we must imagine sin before going there in our body, before seeing it, why do we think that healing works different? Why do we think deliverance works different? Why do we think blessing works different? This is a spiritual law. And so I titled this message, The Law of Imagination. Listen, grace people, I love you, but law is not a bad word. When we talk about the law, and when Paul talked about the law, he's talking specifically about the law of Moses. And he's not even saying the law of Moses is bad, he's just saying you can't use it to say I'm righteous. You can never say what makes me right before God is I checked off the Big Ten. Alright? That's what he's referring to, the law. Law is all law, the word law, it's just the way things work. Gravity, right? The law of gravity. It just means 10 out of 10 times, gravity works. You jump off this building, gravity will work every time. Alright? Why? It's a spiritual law. And spiritual laws were put into place in the original creation. I'll give you an example. Seed, time, and harvest, that is not something to do with Malachi chapter 3. That is not something to do with tithe, just tithing and, and the law of Moses. Seed, time, and harvest has to do with... That is a spiritual law no matter what covenant you're under. Well, I don't believe you. Go out and kill somebody. That's the seed. Give it some time for the cops to investigate it, and the harvest is you going to jail. At seed, time, and harvest. Works every time. 
All right? Now, and Jesus said, or God said in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, listen, as long as there's cold and heat and winter and summer, there will always be seed time and harvest. We've seen it in the original creation when God gave man seed. Every time there's a tree, God doesn't say, tree be! He spoke it one time and ever since then, there's been seed that just continues to create and cause new trees to grow. Imagination, likewise, is a spiritual law and it works irrelevant to the covenant that we are under. And a spiritual law will work for anyone, believer or unbeliever. And that bothers people, right? That you can say a spiritual law will work for anyone. Do you know the book of Proverbs was written before anyone was born again? And you know some of the, the most famous billionaires in the last 200 years Many of them were not even believers, but they told in interviews that the reason, the reason behind their success was they followed a principle written in the book of Proverbs. Why? Because Proverbs is just teaching everyone how to live a good life. Right? So it'll work for anyone. Spiritual laws work for anyone. So I say that to say just because you've heard people take the teaching of imagination and pervert it, that doesn't mean that you know, we should just throw it out. It works, it works for everyone. So let me, let me get on here. So we see in the Bible through Mark 9.23 and Genesis 11.6 that believe and imagine are co-equal terms. Wherever you see believe, you can just put in imagine there. So what we're going to do for this message is we're going to go through some scriptures and some of them will go through fast. And everywhere we read the word believe or believing, we're going to replace it with imagine or imagining. And I'm telling you, this right here will give you such a value for imagination. What I have in my hand, these aren't my sermon notes. These are my personal notes. I have 11 pages here. And I'm not, don't worry, I'm not preaching all these. I have 11 pages here of scriptures where I did this that I'm going to give you a little sample of today. And I'm telling you, it is mind-blowing what you will see about the importance of imagination when you do this. So hopefully you'll go home and, and, and do this or... I can send you my notes on, online, but either way. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. We're, we're, we're going to start here. And so we're going to take, instead of saying believe, we're going to talk about, we're going to replace it with imagine. So Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. And when Jesus was entered in Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that follow, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great... Now it says faith. Now the word believe, the root word, is the same word that's faith. So you could actually even put here, I have not found so great imagination. But right now we'll say, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, 
But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen to this. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way. Now he says in the King James, As thou hast believed, be it unto thee. Let's follow our principle. As you have imagined, so be it done unto you. And his servant was healed in the same hour. So according to your faith, be it unto you. According to what you believe, be it unto you. Imagine saying it this way. And this makes it clear because when we say according to your faith, according to your belief, people think, all right, I got to get like 20 verses. I got to get these memorized. I got to confess these. I got this formula. I got to work. How much more sense does it make when Jesus says, if, as you have imagined, so be that unto you. And then it says that, his, that the centurion was healed the very same hour. That's the power of imagination. Okay? Let me give you another one. This one's good. Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through 30. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him. Now, these men can't see nothing. Right? They can't see nothing. Two blind men followed him, crying and saying, You son of, uh, son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Look here, believe. Let's, let's reinterpret it. Imagine you that I'm able to do this. So here's these blind men who can't see nothing in the natural. And Jesus says, can you imagine it? Hmm. They said unto him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and saying, according to your faith, or according to your imagination, be it done unto you. Here's the thing, guys. You might not have much in this world, but you have an imagination. And if you have an imagination, listen, this is what God, this is an illustration God gave me one time. If you look around at your life and you don't like what you see, it's like God has given you a blank canvas. See, bad circumstances, negative circumstances, it's the enemy's way of trying to keep you from seeing a positive future. It's his way of trying to kill a positive imagination in your life. But when you don't see what you want to see, then it's like God has given you a blank canvas. And you can go there in your imagination and you can begin to see that. Um, I'll tell you something I did. I'll give you some examples of, of, of things that this has worked in my life. All of you know the story when our son was on the vent for 30 days in Denver. And you know, God that's really when God was teaching me about imagination. And do you know one of the things I did was during my prayer time, and we're going to talk about how this can benefit your, your personal time with Jesus here in a little bit. Instead of seeing the doctors come in, which they were doing every single day and giving us a negative report, every single day, here they come, give you a negative report. 
in my prayer time with Jesus, I would see Jesus walking in that room. And I would see Jesus telling me, everything is going to be okay. I would see Jesus giving me a positive report. And I told Keisha, I said, start doing this. Start doing this. When we started to put this into practice, it's when things began to turn around. Right? So you have, if you don't see what you want to see, you've got a blank canvas. Use your imagination. Use the eyes of your heart to paint on that canvas whatever it is you want to see. If you want to see the negative, if you want to see the sin, if you want to see the bad things, the temptation, if you'll paint that picture, that's eventually what you'll have. But if you'll paint a picture of blessing, of honor, of respect, of of all these things that you want in your life, that is what you will have. Mark 11, verse 22 through 24. Now, I love this one. Every one of us know this. If you came from a Word of Faith church, you know this one. Mark 11, verse 22 through 24. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. Now, like I said, you could translate that word faith as imagination. Now, we know that the most literal translations say that actually what Jesus said here was, have the faith of God or have the God kind of faith. So let's read this as have the God kind of imagination. Now, let me explain how how that's powerful. Genesis chapter 1, it says over and over, and God said... And God said, and God said. In the English, we hear the word said and we just think, light be. Let there be light. We just think of the vocalization. But in the Hebrew language, you can look it up in a Strong's Concordance. In the Hebrew language, the idea is first something is seen from in the heart. First something is is conjured up in the imagination, and once it's clearly seen, then it's spoken out. And when it's spoken out, that's when it happens. So God just didn't randomly say, let me see, I need some light. Light be! He's seen light in his heart. He's seen what light looked like before he spoke it. Again, here, so here we see in the creation account the power of imagination. People say, everything here God created. I've got one greater for you. Everything here God imagined. Do you know we talk a lot about foreknowledge, right? Foreknowledge. And people try to say, well, that's, you know, God knew this was going to happen and stuff like that. Do you know foreknowledge? When it comes to God, the word foreknowledge, this is what I call foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is God's faith-filled imagination. Because what God foreknew was a people. See, God did not, contrary to some popular theological circles, God didn't say one day, well, let's see, Brian will be saved, but Brother Craig over here, he won't. Brian will get to go to heaven, but now Craig's going to have to go to hell, right? Millions of years ago in his heart. That's not foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is, see, God looked and he seen a people. And he began to use his imagination and he began to see a people a people who was made in the image of His Son, a people who seen a, t- a, a state 
just ravaged by tornadoes, and they stepped up and said, we'll, we'll be the help. We'll be the hands and the feet of Jesus. That's God's foreknowledge. God didn't, God didn't for, like, He didn't predestine a person. He predestined a people made in the image of a person. See, God's plan that He predestined was Jesus. And then His plan, His faith-filled imagination seen a people made in the image of Jesus. And now we have a choice. That's where free will comes in. Do we want to be made in the image of Jesus or do we want to be made in the image of the wisdom of the serpent? Do we want to be made in the image of the wisdom of God or the wisdom of the serpent? It's up to us. Right? And when I say wisdom of God, I'm referring to Jesus, for He is the wisdom of God, right? So, in the creation account, the word said implies more than just vocalizing words. It carries with it the idea of first seeing an image in one's heart and then vocalizing what has been seen. Imagination, let, let's read on here. Mark 11, verse 23, listen. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Now listen, how do I know when he's talking about the God kind of faith, he's talking about creation? Because he talks about mountains. He talks about seas. In another place, he talked about trees. What are all those? Creation. He's taking man back to his original purpose. Do you know, listen to this. You know, um, I've said it. I'm sure most of you have said it. Well, you know, man, God, man was created for a relationship with God. Now, I agree with that. But the Bible only gives us one reason man was created. Dominion. That's, that, that is the only biblical reason given for the creation of man, dominion. Let us make man and let them have dominion. Now, relationship, that's, that's, we get that, right? I'm not saying we don't have that. We get that. But we we're created for dominion. And what Jesus is doing here is He's taking our thoughts back to the creation account when man had supreme dominion, unhindered dominion. All right? But shall believe, remember believe, imagine, but shall imagine in his heart. Right? But shall imagine... Let's, let's, let's see here. I've not got this on my notes, so if you go to the next... Next slide there. That's okay. That those, but if he shall imagine that those things which he saith shall come to pass. See, we've been wrong because we just say, if you say it, 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 it'll happen. But if you don't see what you say, it'll never happen. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Why? Because what he said, he seen. He was speaking out of what he first seen. Let's look at verse 24, the next verse. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, imagine that you receive them and you shall have them. If you can see it, you can have it. This is the missing link in most of our prayer lives. Because we're like, I'm confessing the word. I'm speaking the word. I know the promises, but why is it not happening? Why is it not coming to pass? Let's just be honest. Nine times out of ten, I'd say ten times out of ten, if you'll be honest with yourself and ask yourself this question, what am I imagining? It's not that promise. It's not the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's 
worst case scenario. It's how this could go wrong. What this could mean in the negative. Right? But if we'll, we'll just take the time to ignite our imagination, I'm telling you, we'll see better results in our prayer life. Here's what you need to do with everything. Whatever the problem is you have this morning, and every one of us have a problem, right? You, it begins by... Your, your path to victory begins this way. You've got to ask yourself this question. Did Jesus do something about this in His death, burial, and resurrection? Does anyone in here this morning have a problem that Jesus didn't take care of in His death, burial, and resurrection? None. None of us have that issue. Do you know when... After our son passed and went to be with Jesus, just being completely vulnerable with you here this morning... I went through a season where I felt God was a million miles away. I mean, it's like I, I wasn't mad at God. I wasn't uh, frustrated with God or anything like that. It's just I felt like God, it feels like you're a million miles away. And I spoke that to God one day. And God told me, he said, Grant, you need to take the time to acknowledge my death, my burial, and my resurrection. And I said, well... Well, I'm a preacher, right? So, I mean, I kind of do that all the time. My church is literally called Grace Point, right? So, but God said, no, you need to acknowledge, you're, you're, you do good at acknowledging, but you need to see it. You need to see the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And I walked you guys through this uh, last year when I did that teaching on meditation. Because, listen, meditate, imagine, they're the same thing. And... I took the time, Keisha and the boys left, and I took the time, and I sat down, and I began to imagine everything Jesus experienced on the cross. I began to see Him coming off that cross, and I've seen that. I've taught this message. If, if you've never heard me teach this, I've got a whole message out there about the finished work of Jesus from the cross to the throne. When Jesus died, He didn't go to be with the Father. He went to the realm of the dead. We would call it hell, but don't worry, hell's not the way, you know, he wasn't sitting there on fire and in a blaze and things like that. But he did go to the realm of the dead. He did go to the place where he experienced that separation from the Father. And when I went there in my imagination, you know what I experienced? I, ex I All of a sudden, I knew that Jesus ex was experiencing what I had experienced. Jesus felt like the Father was a million miles away. And this bothers some people and they want to come and say, oh my gosh, you're saying, you know, Father for such... I'm telling you, listen, I've got about ten verses in the Old Testament. One of the curses of the law was being forsaken by God. If Jesus took the curse of the law and you say that He was, he was never forsaken, then you're saying He didn't take the curse of the law. Okay? Jesus experienced momentarily being forsaken by the Father. Why? So you wouldn't have to. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you want the answer? You. He was forsaken so you never would have to be. But I experienced, I put myself in the place of Jesus and I felt how Jesus felt the Father was a million miles away. He identified with me in His death and in His burial. But the good news is He was resurrected. 
never to be separated from the Father ever again. And then I began to imagine that resurrection. And I began to imagine the reunion that Jesus felt with the Father. And since then, listen, I've not had to say to God, I feel like you're a million miles away. Because I experienced it. As far as my brain, like remember what I talked about earlier about your brain? As far as my brain is concerned, that was me that went to hell and experienced separation from the Father. And as far as my brain is concerned, I came up to a reunion with the Father never to be separated again. Right? That is the power of your imagination. Okay? And so if there's something that you're believing God for, here's what you got to ask yourself. Am I, what am I imagining? Am I seeing the good or the bad outcome? And like I said, if you're, if you're feeling like you're just hitting this wall, right? Because if most of us are honest, we're com- the biggest frustration among us, like charismatic, uh, uh, gospel of grace, word of faith type believers, majority of frustration comes from we feel like we know this truth, but we can't get it to work. And most of the time, the reason is is because we're missing this link of imagination. Let's go to Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. This is, this is an important one. Look here. And these signs shall follow them that believe. All right, now listen. There is billions of Christians who believe in Jesus around this world. And the majority of them do not walk in these signs. But they believe. And Jesus said if they believe. Well, let's read it this way. And these signs shall follow them that imagine. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. Right? They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Do you know the people that I know that walk in the supernatural the most are those who constantly do it in their imagination? Before you see it, before you see it, you have to see it. Um, when I, before I go somewhere and minister, I imagine myself laying hands on people and seeing them healed. I imagine myself giving people words of knowledge and, and, and seeing it bless them. Right? I take the time to see it in my imagination. And since I've started doing, it, doing that, I walk in it a lot more. The people, you know the people who struggle with, with walking in signs and wonders are those who can't see themselves doing it. Right? Like, like I can tell you how many people I've prayed for that want to pray in tongues, so I pray with them to pray in tongues. I try to make it as simple as as I can, and I can't tell you how many tell me, well, how do I know it's me? Like, how do I know it's God and not me? Or, or you know, something like that. Why? What, what they're telling me is, I can't see myself doing this. Right? If you'll see yourself laying hands on people and seeing them recover, you'll begin to experience it a lot more in your life. I mean, begin to see it. If that's something you wish to see, I'm telling you, use your imagination. Like, let me give you this example. If you are praying for somebody, somebody gets up with you, hey, I'm, I'm dealing with this, will you pray for me? 
ignite your imagination and see yourself laying hands on them and seeing them get well. And if you can't imagine it, <laughs> listen, I, I've preached on this before. Uh, if you can't imagine it, then don't do it. Don't do it until you can imagine it. And I've got a whole, I've taught a whole message on why that's the case. You're just hardening people's heart, making it harder for them to get healed. But, but once you can see it and you're convinced of it, do it. Do it. And so if you're going in your imagination, you're thinking about, let's say you're praying for somebody in a wheelchair, and you're using your imagination, and you just can't see them getting up, then just be honest with yourself. I can't believe that I can pray for this person and them get up. But I can believe that I can pray for them and they'll start to feel a tingling in their legs. I can see that. I can see them wiggling some toes. Right? Just keep going to what you can see in your imagination and pray for that thing. So let's go to Luke chapter 8, verse 12. This is the next principle I want to teach on. Is this blessing you guys this morning? Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is powerful, I'm telling you. And I know I'm giving you a lot, but this is, so, this is something that really could be taught on for hours upon hours upon hours. But I'm giving you enough that you can put it into practice. Luke chapter 8, verse 12. So Jesus is teaching on the parable of the sower, and Jesus said that that is his most important teaching. That's Jesus' own words. People mistake the way Jesus taught and what he was teaching because they don't understand the parable of the sower. How do you know that? Because Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, if you don't understand this teaching, you won't understand any of them. So here he is, and I'm just going to read this verse for the sake of time. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then comes the devil and takes away the word out of their hearts. Remember what I said? Your, your heart, the eyes of your heart are your imagination. Lest they should... So he, the, the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. Why? Do you know when people say, I'm under attack, I'm under attack, I'm under attack? The devil don't care about you. He's not after... Well, the devil's after my kids. No, he's not. Devil's after, devil's after, devil's after my faith. No, he's not. He's after the word. If he can get the word out of your heart, he's got you. He's got your kids. He's got your health. He's got all these things. So why does he come to take away the word? Look here. Lest they should imagine and be saved. Don't think coming up here and praying and getting saved. That word saved is sozo, just like shalom in the Hebrew. It's healed, delivered, set free, whatever it is you need, sozo. So lest they should imagine and be healed. Lest they should imagine and be delivered. Lest they should imagine and be set free. Lest they should imagine and have peace. Lest they should imagine and have joy. The Word of God, this book, was written in a way to paint a picture on your heart. Listen, if you've not listened to anything else I've said today... Listen to this part, and I promise you, your walk with God will be so much more fruitful. Your Bible reading will be so much more fruitful. When you read the Bible, engage your heart. Imagine what you're seeing. And listen, imagine Jesus healing people. If, if you're one who's sick, imagine yourself in that person's shoes. If you're the one wanting to walk in, in laying your hands on the sick and seeing them recover, put yourself in Jesus' shoes. Okay? So the Bible is written in a way to paint a picture on your heart. That's why the enemy doesn't care that people have all the information in the world. 
The devil doesn't care if all of a sudden you've got the gospel of grace. The devil doesn't care if all of a sudden you know all the promises of God. The devil doesn't care if you've got all the healing scriptures memorized. But what the devil doesn't want to happen is he doesn't want those promises, that gospel, the Word of God, to paint a picture on your heart. Because if it paints a picture on your heart, he knows he can't stop you from getting it. He knows that he can't stop you from from walking in it. This is why Jesus taught the way that he did. So when Jesus taught like parables, so people say, well, you know, Jesus taught in parables because they were mysteries and they were hard to figure out. No. Jesus taught in such a way that the only people who could get what he was saying is people that would use their imagination. That's why kids love Jesus. And that's why the Pharisees and Sadducees didn't. Because they read the letter. They took apart the letter. Let's see here, you know, uh, he used this word instead of that word, so that means this. And that's the way I primarily teach, right? Breaking down definitions, breaking down words, comparing Scripture with Scripture. But that's, that is a, let's, I'm going to be honest, that is a Western method of teaching. That's not the Eastern way of teaching. That's not the way Jesus would have taught. Jesus taught in a way because when he said, when he used a parable, he wanted to paint a picture on the hearer's heart. So when he said, behold, a sower went forth to sow, he wasn't just wanting people to read, behold, a sower went forth to sow, and like you just keep on reading because you got to get your five chapters. Those people, because they were in a time of agriculture, because they were in a culture of agriculture, when Jesus said, behold, a sower went forth to sow, you know what they seen? They seen a sower out in the field, throwing his seed, right, grabbing his bag, and throwing his seed. They began to see it. They seen that seed sitting there on stony ground. They began to see that seed scorched. Right? So Jesus taught in a way that it would paint a picture on their heart. So when you read your Bible, engage your heart. Use your imagination. This is what Joshua 1.8 and Psalm 1 is talking about. Joshua 1.8 says... When it talks about meditate therein, talking about meditate in the law of the Lord or meditate in the Word of God day and night. That word meditate, again, look it up in any Strong's Concordance. It's not hard to find, blueletterbible.org. Look up that word meditate, and you know what you'll see? It could have just as easily been translated imagine. So imagine therein day and night. And then the psalmist came along and he says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, but his meditation or his imagination is in the law of the Lord day and night. Right? So, the Jews, they get this. That this is a book that was written to your heart. Here's where we go wrong. This book is not written to fill your head. It's written to fill your heart. Now, don't get me wrong, you'll have to put it in your head so it can get to your heart, but you know there's a lot of things that I understand that I don't understand. And and people people ask me, I spend a lot of my ministry time answering questions, and I I can't tell you how many times I've had to apologize to someone. I'm saying, I'm sorry, I've got it here, but I, I don't have it here, and because I don't have it here, I can't get it out of here. Right? So, and, and so our faith, is one of the heart. It's not one of the brain. The devil doesn't mind. You know why the devil doesn't mind the seminaries and 
and and you know, and these 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 ministers who have these these degrees, and I'm not against all those things, but the devil doesn't care when people have a good intellect. The devil doesn't care when you've got all the information correct. The devil cares. He just doesn't want it becoming something that you relating to God heart to heart. That is the enemy's biggest fear that you will learn to have a relationship with God heart to heart. If I got all the information about Keisha, if I know everything Keisha likes and doesn't like, if I know what Keisha wants to hear and doesn't want to hear, but I'm not experiencing a relationship with her from the heart, that how many knows my marriage is worth nothing? We were just talking last night, you know, that, that we know, we know of, of marriages that have fell apart, and when it falls apart at the end, they'll say, well, we just didn't have a relationship. We were just like two people, you know, just, just living together or whatever. So, see, because of a marriage or a relationship that is heart-to-heart, that's a marriage and a relationship yep. that lasts. Yep. Yep. And a lot of relationships begin that way, but when they get out of that and all of a sudden they're just going through the motions... It's over. Yeah. Why? Because it's not a heart thing. Yeah. And only that which comes from the heart works. And the Word of God was written in a way to get in your heart, and when it gets in your heart, it will work. Yeah. Every time. Mm-hmm. Psalm 106.24, it talks about how the children of Israel didn't make it into the promised land, that original generation. It says, because they believed not His Word. So let's read it this way. They imagined not his word. What did they imagine? We talked about this last time when we talked about Canaan and, and the giants. They imagined, going to the, they imagined going into Canaan to fight and they didn't see God giving them the land. They seen the giants giving them a whipping. They seen the giants picking them up and ripping them apart. They seen the giants throwing them miles away, Right? They seen the worst. Ten of them seen the worst. But the two who could see victory, they're the ones who got it. Here's the power of imagination. The ones who couldn't see it didn't have it. They didn't get it. They didn't get to go to the promised land. The two who seen it, one led them into it, and the other one was 80-some years old and said, I want that large mountain over there. Give me that one. Right? So what they seen, what they, what they got was what they first seen in their heart. But ten were led by what they seen with their eyes. What they seen with their eyes influenced what they were seeing in their heart. See, but we need to be those people who what's painted on our heart isn't what we see. It's what we see. Right? If we see it in here and we see ourselves walking in it in here, then it's not going to be long before we're walking in it out there. Romans 4, verses 18 through 21, just about three or four more scriptures and we're done. Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. Um, Abraham is the greatest example of this principle. Who against hope believed in hope. So let's read it this way. Who against hope imagined in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, and so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, and like I said, we could say this imagination, being not weak in imagination, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, verse 20. 
He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in his imagination, giving glory to God. So here's the story with Abraham. Abraham's an old man. Uh, listen, him and Sarah, the shop has closed. Shop's closed, game over. It's done. All right? Um, and it wasn't like, well, maybe we're done. Right? Like me and Keisha were in this place right now, like maybe we're done. And I'm like, Keisha's that one. She's like, oh, we're definitely done. And when I spend the day alone with Finn, I'm like, we're definitely done. But when Keisha's watching Finn most of the time today, I'm like, we might be done. You know? So, so it's not like that kind of done. It's like, listen, we would love to open the shop back up, but we can't afford it. All right? It ain't no, the shop has burnt down, all right? <laughs> but Abraham didn't go by that. He didn't go by his, what he's seen with his body. Remember Jesus told him one night, he said, come outside, come out here, come out here. You see all those stars? If you can number them, that's going to be how much, how, all the seed you're going to have, all the offspring, all the children you're going to have. And how many know, I always feel like I use some sort of crude illustration every time I preach. It's Tim's influence on me is what it is. Uh, but it's like, how many knows? He's looking up, and he's like, okay, I can believe this. But if he looks down, this don't work, right? You get what I'm saying? So, so Keisha, Keisha is listening to me at work like so upset that I just said that. Uh, but... So God says, I want you to look up at the stars. If you can count the number of the stars. I just lost like a few speaking engagements next year because people heard that. <laughs> if you can look up at the stars, that's how much seed you're going to be. And then he says, I want you to look down at the sands. And, it, and if you can count the grains of sand, that's how, how many offspring you're going to have. That's how many children you're going to have. What was God doing? He was, he was doing... He was painting a heart on a, or painting a picture on Abraham's heart. And every time Abraham went outside, he felt the sand in his toes. And when he was thinking, listen, this is impossible, he felt the sand. And he knew what God had promised. At night, when maybe he started out this carriage, but he walked out outside of the tent, looked up, and he seen all those stars. And it painted a picture on his heart. Right? And so we see this, this value of what you have on your heart. Okay? Daniel 6, verse 23 is another Old Testament illustration. If, uh, so this is where Daniel is put in the lines then. Right? Now listen, how many of you, let's just be honest, of the king comes and says, I'm throwing you in the lines then? Um, my imagination immediately sees the line just ripping me apart. Right? My imagination sees the funeral home coming to pick me up. Right? My imagination is what color coffin is Keisha going to get me. Right? But look here. Then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So this is after. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him. Why? Because he imagined in his God. So when Daniel heard, you got to go thrown in the lines then Daniel didn't see the lines ripping him apart. Daniel seen him petting the lines. Daniel seen, uh, Daniel seen old Tigger. He seen old Tony. Seen himself just petting them. Right? 
He's seen himself living at peace with the lions. And because he did that, he experienced that. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. We got, two, we got a few more spots. Whom having not seen, you love. You've never seen him, but you love him. How? In whom though now you see him not, yet imagining, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now let me ask you this. Receiving the end of your faith, even in salvation of your souls. Go back to verse 8. Does verse 8 not look a lot like Isaiah 26.3? You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Right? Here's someone who they don't see, but because they imagine, they experience joy unspeakable. Peace, peace. Shalom, shalom. And full of glory. Everybody in here got saved because you imagined Jesus first. Every person. Everyone in here, whether it, it might have been quick, but everyone in here got saved because for a moment you could see Jesus on the cross. For a moment, and some of us, like, if, like, like where I'm from, you know, it's not Jesus on the cross that's preached, it's, you know, you're going to heaven, you're going to hell. Which one? Take your pick. Right? So I can remember the first message that I heard that got me thinking about my salvation was a, a loving minister who I ended up getting started under ministry and he got up and he just preached how awesome heaven's going to be. And I remember sitting there listening to him preach that message and I could see heaven. I could see streets of gold. I could see people walking in peace. I could see uh, Jesus giving. I could see all of these things. And that started my journey with Jesus. Right? So everyone in here, you got saved and it began in your imagination. But what happens is we eventually begin to just... See, our imagination, what's funny is when you read the Bible, if you just look up the word imagination in a King James Bible, nine times out of ten, every reference is negative. Like it's referring to how people use their imagination for bad. Why? Because it's like our default setting as humans is a negative imagination. Right? And so, if you're not careful, if you don't make your imagination be positive, if you don't make your imagination be full of faith, it goes back to this default of just seeing the worst. But if you, listen, in your personal time with Jesus, just see Jesus there with you. And I know people say, man, that just sounds like make-believe. No, because listen, where is He? He's with me. He's always with me. So when I imagine that He's with me, I'm just seeing with my heart what the Word says is true. Right? The Word says He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. So when I am sitting there reading my Bible and I feel God is a million miles away, I just see Jesus just sitting there. You don't know what that means? You don't know how that applies to you? I'm telling you guys, it will, it will, it's, it may sound silly, but it can have a great impact on your, on your personal walk with God. Psalm 27 verse 13 says, I had lost heart unless I had believed or imagined to see the goodness of God 
in the land of the living. Do you know why people lose heart? Because they don't imagine seeing the goodness of God in their life. They imagine seeing the curse of the law. They imagine seeing the wrath of God. They imagine seeing you know, all the bad things. But when you see and you imagine the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, not in the sweet by and by, but some pie on the ground while you're still around, when you can see that with the eyes of your heart, you're going to stay encouraged. This right here will defeat Psalm 27, 13. That will defeat discouragement. That will defeat depression. That will defeat anxiety. That will defeat worry. Why? Because I'm imagining seeing the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Last one. This is what I, I want you to do. And let me just say this. Your imagination, guys, truly, your imagination will get you through the toughest seasons of your life if you'll just use it. If you'll just engage your heart and use your imagination, it will get you through the toughest season of your life. Do you know, like I said, when we lost our son, what happens for a lot of people when they go through that situation is they're so focused on what they see. Right? They see the empty bedroom that we've seen. They've seen the empty bed that we've seen. They've seen a body laying on a coffin and laying in a coffin without any breath. Right? But what we did and we still do is I don't see that. I see my son running and playing in heaven. I see my son having a good time with Jesus. I think about the moment when he's the one that sits there and he's waiting for me when I get there. Right? That is using your imagination and that has defeated depression for me. Right? That has defeated discouragement for me. Right? When the Bible talks about stir up the gift, I'm telling you, as I study that out, the way you stir up the gift is through your imagination. Right? I'm telling you guys, like, man, this is like... The reason people fear death is because when they think of death, they see what happens in the natural. They see the dying. They see the coffin. They see the funeral home. They see the sadness. They see the, 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 the family left behind. But when you see you with Jesus, what's there to fear? Right? What's there to fear? I'm going to be with Jesus. All right. Something I do... When I'm going through a tough time, I'm just going to share this with you, is I see myself telling you guys, like as if that's in the past tense of me get, telling you guys the testimony. Right? So when, when Jordan was on the vent in Denver, I seen myself here at Grace Point telling you guys the praise report. Telling you guys how we came through this. When I deal with something in my body, I see myself teaching about how I believed God and got this result. That's faith. We have made faith so weird. And I'm sitting here telling you, use your imagination, and you think that's weird. No, I'm telling you, that's as practical as faith gets. Okay? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 20, or 15 through 23. This is the famous prayer that Paul prayed Kenneth E. Hagin said this. He said, when I began to pray Ephesians 1 and 3 every day, that's when my life changed. And we read this and we tend to think that, God is, that Paul is actually praying that people would actually come to have an understanding in their minds of what Jesus has done for them. Let's, let's read this. Ephesians chapter 1. 
Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, make a mention of you in my prayers. Here comes the prayer, verse 17. The eyes... Uh, uh, okay, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, a revelation is something that couldn't be seen, but now it's seen. In the knowledge of Him, verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Now, this word understanding, again, look it up in the Greek, look it up in the Strong's Concordance. Go to blueletterbible.org, pull up Ephesians 1.18, look at that word understanding in the Greek. You know what it means? Imagination. The eyes of your imagination would be enlightened. So Paul is praying here. He's not praying for revival. He's not praying for, you know, a billion dollars. He's not praying for... He says, I pray that what you've never seen you would see and that your imagination would just explode with this. That you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who what? Imagine. All right? Believe, imagine, co-equal words. So it's when you can imagine it that you experience the exceeding greatness of His power. What, in Ephesians 3, He goes on and He says, He can do greater than you can think or imagine. Like So as good as you can get that imagination, here's God's promise. I'll do better than that. You see it, but I'll do better than that. Exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask, think, or imagine. So God says, you see it, I'll do better than that. Which He wrought in Christ. So see, this is what you're imagining. You're, you're not just trying to make something happen. You're, you can imagine it because Jesus already took care of it. He already provided it. When He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So my recommendation to you guys is take this prayer, replace that word understanding with imagination. The English Standard Version, like the way it says, it, it says the eyes of your heart. So begin to pray this prayer every day. And where it says believe, replace it with imagination. Or imagine. And just begin to ask God to ignite your imagination. Amen. He'll do it. He'll do it. That's why He gave you this book. One of the reasons. One, that we may know Him. But two, that you can imagine. You can operate in faith. And you can see the good things that God has provided for you through His death, burial, and resurrection. Amen. Has this blessed you guys today? Um, I'm going to pray for you. and uh, Well, actually, let's just go ahead. Let's take up the offering right now. If you need a giving envelope...